Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, Washington Business Journal's Money Reporter looks at the year ahead. I think a lot of people are going to look at 2020 as a time to make your bets before any possible recession. And Happy New Year, everybody. How does those New Year resolutions look Six days in, have you broken them yet? Or are you at the gym as you listen to the show? <laughs> I'm here with Andrew Medici. He is a senior staff reporter at the Washington Business Journal. He covers money and all things entrepreneurship here in the D.C. region. Andy, let's um, let's get caught up on the big trends for 2019. What are the big stories you think really shaped the year? And how do you see them teeing up uh, how our economy is going to look for next year? It's a pleasure to be here, Jonathan. And 2019 was a big year for venture capital because it was a year that showed us what didn't work. We had a lot of uh, angst around WeWork, a model that for years had been taken as a given in venture capitalism, which is that growth at the expense of everything else Everything else is always preferable. And in this case, we saw how quickly that collapsed. We looked at a $47 billion valuation, dropped to below $10 billion, a bailout by SoftBank, huge layoffs, divesting the business. And that was just one of these large sort of massive startups that have sprung up over the years that have been fueled by investor dollars. And we saw this year that it just didn't work. So in 2020, you know, we're going to hopefully see what does. Well, we'll see that. Also, Amazon was a huge story throughout the year. You, you covered it a, a great deal. How much do you see Amazon as um, shaping things in 2020 in our region? Well, it's interesting because as Amazon moves here physically in the region, it seems like they're taking up more and more of the debate, too, which is in what way should Amazon exist? You know, 2019, in many ways, was sort of their debut in terms of national politicians talking about this company, in terms of the company taking stands on individual issues, some of it good, raising their minimum wage to $15, but some of it bad, You know, whether they have anti-competitive practices or not. So 2020 really is going to be, what does Amazon look like in the future, and how are national politicians and Congress going to look at this company from antitrust perspective, from a regulatory perspective, as they go into new markets, as they continue to acquire new businesses. Mm. So we have Amazon, we have the whole sort of venture capital bubble, or which uh, burst not just with uh, WeWork, but with other high-profile companies that went public and have traded down since then. What was the other big thing that you saw last year that really sort of shapes things as you're looking forward? Well, I think what we saw was a focus on uh, these companies going public, these companies uh, finally trying to get an exit, Uber and Lyft. But what happened was is that people didn't clearly value them as much as the venture capitalists did. So you have Uber, which is traded down, Lyft, which is traded down, uh, Blue Apron, which is traded down. All these companies that uh, professionals had for years sort of groomed and molded to to have these successful exits, and they they didn't do well. And I think that begs the question, which is, what should venture capital be going forward, and how should uh, venture capital invest in these companies going forward because we think about venture capital as having been around for forever, but it's still a very young and very new industry. Maybe you could say it's 30 or 40 years old, which means that there's plenty of room for change. And it will be interesting to see how that does change in 2020. For me, one of the big things of 2019 heading to 2020, and you, you touched on it, uh, the biggest funds that were raised are being put together in our region. Most of them were raised by institutions that really didn't have any particular nexus in the D.C. early stage committee, uh, a community. For example, NEA raising a huge fund. You know, Sands Capital, a uh, really successful money management firm based in Arlington, starting a new venture effort with uh, some of the guys from Valhalla. Uh, and it just seems to me that what's 
happening now is there's a tremendous almost fusion that's going on where private equity, hedge funds, and venture, it's all sort of coming out of the same bucket, and it's just a question of where it gets deployed more and more. I think that's a great point, Jonathan. That's true. A lot of companies that have traditionally not been in venture have branched out into venture. As you said, Sands Capital, The Motley Fool, which for years had sort of prided itself on public company um, statistics and information and news, also with its own venture fund. And I think that's what is happening is that you have these large players in public markets, these large investment players, and they increasingly realize that the best way to get access to deals as they come up is to have been an investor in them the whole time. So you see them creating a pipeline. You know, Sands Capital, uh, more than $40 billion in assets under management. So a small venture fund really isn't a huge investment for them. They can target these companies and then they can invest in them at every stage of growth so that when they do go public, they're there already. And I think you're going to see that in a lot of places. Uh, private equity in general is reaching earlier and earlier into the liquidity stack to pick up. You know, in D.C., several companies were bought by private equity, but they were only raising B rounds, which before was unheard of. Usually, private equity comes in a lot later. So I think what you're seeing is people looking at the risk profiles and realizing that they would rather reap better rewards than wait down the road to see what comes out of that pipeline. You know, for me, as I look at 2020, what I am most interested and concerned about is that there's an enormous amount of liquidity around the world. You know, we have trillions upon trillions of dollars of government debt now that's trading below below zero interest rates. And you see more and more behavior where investments being made to try to get a higher risk-based return. It seems like we're either in the middle of a bubble or or it's very concerning to me as I look at 2020. What's your view? I, I think a lot of people are going to look at 2020 as a time to make your bets before any possible recession. I know we've been talking about a recession for a while now, generally in the media and uh, across the country. But what we're really looking at is the fact that, as you said, there's this been availability of cheap money for a, a decade or more now. Yeah. Uh, at zero, at 1% interest rates, they're going down still, even as we speak. They'll probably go down again uh, before you know, I finish this sentence. And <laughs> that's how fast it's happening. Yeah. And that creates this excess amount of capital, and people need to invest it, and they need to invest it at return. And that you put it into huge rounds, SoftBank's Vision Fund, which hasn't done as well as people had hoped it would be. You put it into these large companies. You put it anywhere you can, and does that create problematic issues? It definitely does. And it also means that that capital, which is cheap, people borrow against, and it creates all sorts of risks so that if there is a downturn of any kind in the economy, you have a lot of dominoes that are ready to fall. So we're here in D.C. I have to ask, as you, as you look at the election, you talk with other folks in the financial industry, do people really think that the election is going to make a particular difference? I mean, a lot of these economic issues are macro and they're baked in, right? So it might not matter who you elect. You know, it doesn't seem that long ago when Barack Obama got elected in the face of a recession that seemed to be happening whether or not he was elected. He did a lot of things to try and mitigate the issues there. But all of these issues, high corporate debt, high student loan debt, uh, credit risks, you know, all these little bubbles that are springing up, those are the results of years of sort of the current situation, monetary practice. Will uh, any president be better than any other at solving those problems? I think that remains to be seen. But that's definitely something that I think will be on the top minds as people continue to campaign in 2020. Oh, absolutely. I know that they'll they'll campaign on the difference and it'll all be the sky is falling and you've got to vote for me or the world's going to end. You know, as I look at it, I think you're right from the standpoint of there are certain macro issues, the largest one being the, the large amount of liquidity around the world. That's not going to matter. 
whoever the president is. But to my mind, the other thing that's very likely, whether uh, the Democrats or Republicans hold the White House, I think there's going to be more, more regulation of tech. That seems to be particularly antitrust. It seems almost inevitable right now. Are people talking about that? I think uh, a strong dislike of social media companies now might be one of the few areas where both parties seem to agree, at least on some level, whether the specifics really pan out. But, you know, large companies like Google, Facebook, um, Amazon, they are such key factors in all of our lives. And, you know, I shop on Amazon and I use Google and I'm on Facebook. And, And I think people are realizing now that what they signed up for maybe not is what they really wanted. And Congress is trying to struggle with these issues and see what they can do about it. And in a lot of cases, that means regulation. There has been general chatter about how do you break up tech companies? Should Facebook and Instagram be separate companies? Should Amazon um, be able to be both a marketplace and a seller? And these are debates and issues that are playing across the world stage. But I think in 2020, you're going to see a lot more of those take front and center. As you talk with entrepreneurs or you look at the the community, it's pretty clear that large amounts of capital are pooling in professional hands. Are you seeing or do you think that we'll see an emergence of um, more angel funds or smaller funds? Or should entrepreneurs really understand that getting money is now a big company game? I think what you're going to see is you're going to see small funds being raised. They're not going to really hold a candle to the huge players that are that have very deep pockets. But I think 2020, you'll see a few funds. You'll see a couple successor funds to small groups. But I think what you're really going to see is more corporate capital, more corporations, more large-scale asset managers get into the space. Uh, It's too attractive to ignore for them. So sure, there'll still be small funds, and there'll still be some new funds, especially in this area. But these large players, they're going to continue to get into space, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that. So net-net, if you were looking at the conditions for being an entrepreneur in town, do you think 2020 is better than 19, the same, worse? How are you feeling about it? I think 2020 might be a good time to raise money if you can get it in before any possible recession. I would say that entrepreneurs are always optimistic, and that's probably why they're entrepreneurs. But I think there is going to be a big sort of side issue of realism, which is, how much time do we have before there is a downturn and what should companies and entrepreneurs do to make sure that they are secure against something like that? Conclusive proof that entrepreneurs are not economists. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, Andy, as you look at 2020, what are some of the stories you think are going to be most interesting for people to pay attention to? We have to take a look at uh, venture capital and what that's going to turn into. There's already talk about what big investors are valuing, and it might be a return to more realistic measures like revenue, possibilities for profit. For years, it was growth at almost all costs. And those models haven't exactly borne a lot of fruit for a certain stage of investor. So, you know, you have companies and DC, I think, might reap some of the benefit of that because a lot of the companies in DC are focused more on revenue. They're focused more on uh, software and growth. They They have very few of those companies that are grow without a product or grow without uh, a real customer base. You'll still see some of that, but I think more and more you're going to see a shift towards what can we do to make sure the company can thrive financially, even if that means sacrificing maybe a little bit of that growth on the top end. And there's going to be all sorts of new models that I, I think will come up. You know, the traditional committed fund within a company getting equity, I think people are going to do a lot more experimentation to see what works better for them. You and I are both optimistic 2020 is going to be a very promising year for entrepreneurs. Get ready to adapt. Andrew Medici, as always, it's great to have you on the show, providing your insight, senior reporter, senior staff reporter to Washington Business Journal covering money. Love your insights. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here, Jonathan. 
And now, non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. You know, it should come as no surprise to anybody listening that we are living in the era of the brand. Whether it's traditional bricks and mortar or online shopping, most of us start with some type of brand preference when we make our purchasing decisions. And some of us will only consider one brand when it comes to cars, clothing, housewares, accessories, and our choice is often within a family of sub-brands or other variables within the brand like color, sizing, quantity, packaging, or even service and maintenance levels. Brand loyalty and brand recognition are critical when establishing and growing a business. At the federal level, brands are protected by the Lanham Act of 1946. But ironically, for about 40 years after the passage of the Lanham Act, it was viewed as a form of consumer protection. In other words, the courts viewed brands as the marking of a product or service that would identify who to sue if the product caused you harm. But by the 1980s, courts finally began recognizing and protecting the market value of brands. And today, many of the brands around us are worth billions and billions of dollars. Just a couple of fun examples. Amazon's brand, not the company, the brand, is worth $150 billion. Apple, $146 billion. Google, $120 billion. Samsung, $92 billion. Not the entire company, just the brand. In choosing a brand, be sure that the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office search is done to avoid any confusion or trademark infringement. Ideally, choose a name, a logo, a slogan that's distinctive, easy to pronounce, and is able to be remembered, but not too descriptive of the underlying product or service. Remember, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, as a matter of policy, will resist any attempts to take common words out of the vernacular. And in a strange twist of fate, some brands that become too popular and overly used as nouns or verbs can actually be forfeited, like aspirin, escalator, and cellophane. This is called genericization. So select your brands carefully and make sure that they have that consumer marketing punch but can still be protected under the law. That was your non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, and our web writer is B. Aldrich. Music provided by two local bands, The Sunbathers, and my own band, Two Car Living Room. And of course, thanks to Active Navigation, Sarefloor Shaw, and the Greater Washington Board of Trade, who provide the financial support to make this show possible. If you have a story idea, don't forget to tweet us at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>